the world of Islam, culture, religion, and politics. Welcome to the World of Islam podcast. My name is Amin Tais. We continue today discussing the hadith. Our particular focus here are the hadith collections. But before we discuss some types of collections that arose in the world of Islam over the decades and the centuries, let me remind you of a few important points, some of which we discussed in earlier episodes and that are necessary for us to have a clearer picture of the importance of the Hadith collections. First, we must remember that the Hadith becomes important gradually over the decades of the 2nd and 3rd Islamic centuries. This does not mean that the early Arabs were uninterested in Muhammad's legacy. This would be far-fetched, but the focus on Muhammad and his words and his example exclusively seems to have become much more intense as the decades passed. The early community appears to have had a more fluid relation to the prophetic heritage, a heritage that continued to be alive. It was a living practice, a living sunnah, to use the Arabic term. Second, the hadith becomes more crucial with the increasing authority of the sunnah of Muhammad and the success of the hadith movement that defended hadith reports as vehicle of that sunnah in the late 700s and early 800s. Third, the slow rise of methodology of legal theorizing, with hadith playing a central role in it, as we saw in a previous episode, made it necessary to have more systematic approaches to hadith. We see this in the rise of the field of biographical sketches of transmitters or narrators, ilm al-rijal or ilm al-tabaqat, and in the developments that are witnessed within the collections of hadith. Fourth, historically speaking, this state of affairs made the hadith reports the carriers of the practices of the first two or three generations of believers, for we see in hadith reports the traces of many of the early theological and political debates, although they are of course projected back to the Prophet himself. This does not mean that nothing goes back to Muhammad himself, but even if the kernel of particular reports could somehow be traced back to the Prophet, it remains that what is at play here is the historical memory of a people 
naturally mixing the need of today with the perceived heritage of yesterday. In other words, conscious and unconscious elements are shaping the perception of a legacy, of the legacy of a man who became more important than all others, a man viewed as the last link with the divine. In Hadith literature, Muhammad becomes mostly, but not exclusively, a legal example for a community whose members were fighting over social organization and political organization in an environment that had become larger, more diverse, and more complex than the world of the earliest community. One could say that the Hadith literature represents the best symbol of the transition from Quranic discourse to Islamic discourses. While Quranic discourse is prophetic, revolutionary, emotionally intense, and linguistically metaphorical in large part, the Hadith and the Islamic discourses are much more concerned with theological and legalistic details. It is a transition that seeks to ground the community in a common set of beliefs and social practices and rituals, etc. I would suggest that Hadith is one of the tools of the institutionalization of Islam. In this process of institutionalization, the Hadith collections played a significant role. The earliest form of collections of Hadith, which we don't have access to, but that is mentioned in later literature, is called a Sahifa. The Sahifas of some of the companions of Muhammad. These are small personal collections that, if they historically existed, would have been mostly written on parchment or other rudimentary materials, given that paper did not exist yet. Paper would reach Muslims in the late 700s, early 800s, coming from China. The second form of collections that arose in the mid-700s is the Musannaf collection. The Musannafs are legally-oriented collections that, in keeping with the earlier periods, contained reports from the Prophet, but also reports from uh, other companions and leaders of the community, and many legal opinions from the scholars who used these materials and collected uh, these musannafs. The best example of a musannaf is the Muwatta of Malik, who died in 795, a scholar we encountered uh, previously, and whose name would be later tied to the Maliki school of jurisprudence. The Musannaf collections were thus organized by legal topic. 
the next type of collection rises with the next generation that had to respond to the need of recording chains of transmissions to ground the hadith on stronger pillars in order to answer the challenge of those who doubted the hadith as vehicle of the sunnah of Muhammad. These collections, therefore, wanted to highlight the isnad, the chains of narrators that are supposed to have passed down the hadith reports. So, this type of collection came to be known as musnad, from isnad, because they were organized by chain of transmission. The best example of this kind of collection is the one that came to be known as the Musnad of Ahmed ibn Hanbal, who died in 855. The scholar whose name would be given to one of the four orthodox Sunni schools of jurisprudence, the Hanbali Madhab. The next stage in this process was born out of what could be called the Sahih movement. You might remember this term, Sahih, in English sound, from our discussion of the science of hadith criticism in the last episode. Sahih denotes the most authentic reports according to the methodology developed by hadith scholars. This generation of scholars was even more eager to establish the authenticity of the hadith in the world of Islam at a time of intense political strife. The Sahih movement would engender prestigious collections that would have an important impact for centuries to come in the Sunni sphere. First among all these is a collection entitled the Jami' of al-Bukhari. Al-Bukhari was a Hadith scholar who died in 870 and who claimed that all the reports in his collection were authentic Hadiths, meaning that their chains of transmission were complete and contained only reliable narrators or transmitters. By the 11th century, Sunni Muslims would come to accept six collections of hadith as the most reliable. This is viewed as the Sunni canon of hadith, although there exists disagreement about the sixth book of this canon. Generally, the six books are those of Al-Bukhari, who died in 870, Muslim, who died in 875, and these two are the most venerated. Then, the book of Abu Dawood, who died in 889, the book of Nisa'i, who died in 915, the book of Tirmidhi, who died in 892, and the book of Ibn Majah, who died in 887. In the Twelver Shi'ite sphere, with the belief that the 12th Imam had gone to small occultation in the 9th century and big occultation in the 10th century, as we discussed in a previous episode, there arose a stronger need to have hadith collections of the words not only of the Prophet, 
but also those of the venerated imams of the Shi'ite tradition. And although in the Twelver Shi'ite camp, in contrast to the Sunni side, the rationalist trend remained more influential, a topic we will go back to hopefully in the near future, a number of collections still came to be highly regarded and became very influential. These are the collections of Ibn Babawi, who died in 991, of Al-Kulaini, who died in 941, and of At-Tusi, who died in 1067. That's all I have for you today. I leave you in peace. Assalamu alaikum. Thank you.